As you find your seats, if you'll open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find in your bulletin the text that we're going to uh, be preaching from this morning. As we continue in this series, this amazing little New Testament book, uh, history book, called uh, Acts, really the Acts of Jesus. Again, when you look at a book like this and it's titled Acts, maybe the first question you want to ask is, well, whose acts are these? And we see clearly that these are the acts of the apostles, yes. The acts of the early church, yes. The acts and the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. But this is really the acts of God's own son, Jesus, as ruling and reigning God and what he continues to do for us at the right hand of God the Father. Again, we got to begin maybe saying again, who is this Jesus? I mean, this Jesus has caused quite a stir, has he not? My hope and prayer is that this Jesus has caused quite a stir in your own life. My hope and prayer is that the amazing love he has for you, the amazing rescue that he has accomplished for us, would truly radically turn our lives upside down. It would be so stirring that it would make our lives new. The one who's redeemed us, restored us, and rescued us. What great news. Who is really this Jesus? You know, there's been a lot of confusion A lot of confusion of who he really is. And the name of Jesus is quite a stir. Do you know that even this this morning, not in our time zone, but there was a suicide bomb that attacked and killed 52 of our brothers and sisters who were worshiping in a historic church in northwest Pakistan that today, because of the name of Jesus, their life has ended. Apparently after the worship service, they were having a free lunch. They were giving away rice. And it was at that time after worship that they went out and were going to break bread or whatever you, how you ever break rice in fellowship together that that bomb went off. Who is this Jesus that would cause people to strap bombs on them and hate his name so much? You know, yesterday, uh, yesterday we got more news. 59 were killed. 175 were wounded in Nairobi, Kenya. The people who the gunmen went in there said to the Muslims, it's time for you to leave. All the non-Muslims, especially those who love and embrace the name of Jesus. That was at the heart of the attack. There's always been some confusion. There's always been controversy. And I want, to know, I want you to know clearly there's even danger. Danger in the name that God says is above every name. The name that at one time is coming and oh, how I long for that. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the name of Jesus. Until that day, we got to know who really is this Jesus. We got to look at three things. Who is this Jesus? As the empowerment of the Holy Spirit has come, and we're going to see that the early church was seeing him for who he truly was and truly is. And every one of us, it's so critical for you to know. The most important question you will ever answer in all eternity is your response to the question, who is this Jesus? We're going to look at another question is, what has this Jesus really done? What did he accomplish? And thirdly, how are we to respond to to this Jesus? Because he has caused quite a stir. Again, as our study continues in Acts, we've looked at the Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit has come to be uh, empowered. That we now are the storytellers of Jesus. That it's God's plan to tell the whole world that his kingdom has come. 
that his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are his representatives. We're, we're his ambassadors. So it's imperative for us as the church. If we are going to be the ones empowered to tell the story of Jesus, we need to be empowered to know who this Jesus really is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So turn with me in Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue uh, looking uh, at Acts 2 where we left off last week. It's in the middle of Peter's sermon. I mean, how rude of us to stop in the middle of a sermon and wrap it up. But this is the second part. I thought it was a little bit funny. It wasn't funny at all, apparently. What's before us was written by a uh, good physician named Luke. And he wrote down the best he could to uh, a guy named Theophilus, the history of Jesus. But the amazing thing that God has done is he actually breathed upon Luke, his very being, his very substance. And and what we have before us is, is God's living word. It's true. It'll never lead us astray. We can trust it. So here's the point where whoever you are and, and wherever you are, even wherever you are in this discussion of who is Jesus, God has you here for a reason. And he wants to speak to you through his word. Let me read aloud and read along silently with me. Acts chapter 2 and Peter's sermon continues, verses 22 through 41. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, and this is King David, says concerning him, quoting scripture here, I saw the Lord always before me, For he is at my right hand, that I I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set, on, on, uh, set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the power of that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that is here with us today. That as Peter preached the truth of who this Jesus really is, by your grace and for your glory, you pierced their hearts. And Father, they were 3,000 that you had appointed to hear that good news and come to Christ as their Savior and be baptized in his name. Father, I ask by the power of the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that there would not be a soul here today who does not know who this Jesus really is. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to come and speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you give us ears to hear Ears to hear, empower our ears to hear the voice of our Savior Jesus. Give us minds to understand who this Jesus really is. Father, I pray that by your grace and and glory that you give us hearts to embrace this Jesus as Lord and Christ. And that, Father, that we would have the joy and the power to walk in a manner worthy of the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, oh, Holy Spirit, empower me in such a way that the things that I say that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, that you'd use those things to make us more like him. And the things that I say that are wrong are my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. We pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The first thing this morning is we're going to examine is who is this Jesus? As I read through the text, I hope you heard that several times it was says, this Jesus, this Jesus. I mean, God was trying to bring clarity to his word through the preaching of Peter of who this Jesus really is. And the way that I'm going to unpack this for you, the way I feel God has led me is to say, let's look at who this Jesus is through the eyes of this preacher, Peter. Let's hear who this Jesus is and who he became through the ears of the original listening listening crowd and who this Jesus is in God's own eyes and ultimately who this Jesus is in your eyes. First of all, through Peter's eyes. It was Peter. Peter was the first one to say that this Jesus was the Christ. Peter was the first one to say this Jesus is the son of the living God when Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? I love Peter. My parents named me right when they gave me the middle name Peter. Do you know that every time Peter's name is listed in Scripture, guess what number he takes? He's number one. 
There's not a list that, that, that will ever come through Scripture that Peter doesn't find himself on, that he is not numero uno. Do you know that it's Peter? He is always the first to speak. I mean, even in this sermon right here, the book of Acts, guess who the first sermon's delivered by? Peter. It's Peter, the first to speak, usually the last to think. It's Peter. Peter's the one who said to Jesus in a boat one day, said, if that's really you, Jesus, call me out on the water. And everybody else is like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're so afraid. Peter stepped out of the boat under the waves. He walked on water. This is Peter. Oh, by the way, he saw the wind and got terrified. And he sunk like a rock. This is Peter. I mean, again, it's just the beauty of Peter. And Luke tells us in his gospel, but Matthew gives us a little bit more detail. And we got to go there. We got to go to Matthew 16 in this gospel. It's a turning point of the gospel. And it's the first time that Jesus is declared as being the Christ. And here's what happened. Jesus took his disciples and they went to a really nasty place called Caesarea Philippi. And it was nasty not because of the outward nastiness. It's a beautiful place. I've been there. It was nasty because what happened there was a pagan place of worship. It was a pagan place of sacrifice. Human sacrifice was done right there. They called it the gates of hell. And and, and Peter was one of the 12 that Jesus took there. And he said to them, as he gathered right there at the gates of hell, he says, hey, I want to ask you all a question. I want to ask you the question, who do people say I am? And I want you to know that that will be the most important question that you will ever answer. Jesus is going to ask you one day, who do you say I am? And so the, the, the apostles, they responded. They said, there's a lot of confusion about you, Jesus. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. But, but he looked at him. He says, well, how about you? Who do you say I am? And then there's Peter. Oh, man, Peter. He knocked it out of the park. Let's look at what he says. This is uh, in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 16, verse 16. We pick up the story. Simon Peter replied the first He says this, he says, you are the Christ. You are God's anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He gives him a real term of endearment. I kind of picture him putting his arm around him, maybe give him a noogie. Peter, blessed are you, man. You got this. But here's what he says, it's very important. He says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know what this is saying to us? Peter has a heavenly answer to describe who is Jesus. I mean, his answer was so amazingly right and so amazingly profound. You are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the hope. You're God's son. He had a heavenly answer to the ultimate question. But here's was what chills us. But Peter didn't fully understand what Jesus was to do. He knew he's a Christ. But then he got really confused about what Jesus was to do. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 16, let's pick up verse 21. For it says this. From that time, that time where it was declared, it was declared and made known that Jesus is a Christ, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now listen, this sounds so familiar to us because we know the story. We know what happens. And here's Peter and he just said, you're, you're the one we've longed for. You are the Christ. And now Jesus is unpacking for him, this is why I really came. 
I'm going to die. I'm going to go and suffer. I'm going to be crucified. And listen to how Peter responds in verse 22. And Peter took him aside. He didn't want to embarrass him, Jesus, in front of the other disciples. Very kind of Peter. He took him aside. You ready for this? And he began rebuking him. This is the one who just said, you're the anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, come over here, Jesus. You really got this whole thing wrong. What are you talking about, this death thing? I mean, what is this crucifixion thing all about? It's amazing. Far be it. It should never happen to you. Verse 23. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Oh, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is Peter. Peter had a heavenly response to the question of who Jesus is. And this is Peter who has a satanic view of what Jesus is supposed to do. It's humbling, isn't it? You see, Peter's whole thing was on the kingdom of of man, not the kingdom of God. As As we read this, as even we've gone studied through the book of Acts, In Acts 1, it says to us that Jesus, as resurrected Savior, appeared for 40 days to the apostles. And what was he teaching them about? He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Why? Because they were really confused that the Christ was to be killed. They were really confused what the kingdom was really about. And so for 40 days, he's teaching them. And what was their first question in Acts? Their first question in Acts 1 was, hey, is it time now for the kingdom of Israel to be restored? There's a lot of confusion. Jesus said, no, this is all about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. It's Peter. It's Peter who declared his undying loyalty to Jesus. This is, this is him. In, in Luke's gospel, in Luke 22, 33, it's great. Jesus knows he's about ready to die for our sins. He knows he's about ready to go to the cross. He's telling his apostles very clearly that they're all going to be turncoats, Benedict Arnolds, and a bunch of scaredy cats that are all going to run away. But Peter thinking way too highly of himself, like he always does, says, no, 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 Jesus. Even if these other 11, I know that they really are. There's some really misfits over here. I will not betray you. Jesus, I am ready to follow you even to death. Do you have my undying loyalty? Just a few hours later, there'll be a little slave girl they will notice Peter as a Galilean. His accent gives him away. And she'll say, hey, 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 aren't you one of those fellows with that guy Jesus that's about to be crucified? No, I don't know. Others will say, hey, aren't you one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're one of the ones who follow Jesus. You know, the third time, this is what this Peter does. This is this, what this Peter says. Undying loyalty, right, for this. He curses to heaven. And he says basically this, I swear to God, I don't even know him. Peter. It's amazing. Declared undying loyalty and yet would deny ever even knowing him. This is Peter. We see the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us at Pentecost. And Peter, this one who got empowered, he, he got it right a little bit about you are the Christ. He was getting all confused. Did you hear the sermon we just read? This is Peter who's now fully understanding this is who Christ really is. The Holy Spirit has empowered him not only to tell who Jesus is, but to discern who Jesus is. And now he knows this Jesus. Here's what Peter knew. You ready for this? Here's what Peter knew. This Jesus is 
Lord. He is God's Lord. He's God's Son. This Peter is Christ. What a transformation we've seen in him. How about through the eyes of the crowd? Let's see who this Jesus was through the eyes of the crowd. It says this, The crowd knew this man called Jesus of Nazareth. They'd seen him with his own eyes. I love the beauty of Scripture here because it's making clear that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Son of Man. I mean, he really is God in flesh. He's fully man. And he, he says to them, uh, Peter's telling them, you knew this Jesus of Nazareth. There's a great rumor about this guy. And he says three things. You saw with your own eyes. You were witnesses. His miraculous power. Uh, his signs and wonders. You saw him. Some of you were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Some of you were there when he spoke and the leprosy went away. Some of you were there when he raised that little girl. Some of you were there. When he healed and he spoke with such power, you saw the signs. You saw the miracles. You saw the wonders. And I love how Greek is, the Greek is so emphatic here. You saw it and you knew it. This is Jesus of Nazareth. You saw what he did. But then he says this, but you crucified him. You crucified him. And again, the Greek is very strong here. You fixed him to the cross. I mean, you nailed him to the cross. The one you saw, the signs and the wonders and the miracles. This Jesus, with lawless hands, you killed him. And now by God's grace through Scripture, we saw two passages of Scripture read. It was Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 pointing to who this Christ really is. That through Scripture and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, stick with me here. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit allows us to have our hearts open and turned on fire for who this Jesus really is. And for our minds to understand what this Jesus really did and is still doing. It happened to those on the road to Emmaus. Jesus opened up their their eyes and their minds to see who he really was and that all of Scripture was really about him. And now those who have crucified Jesus, the Scriptures are opened up to them and they're realizing, "Uh uh-oh, oh man, this is the Lord. This is the Christ. Through eyewitnesses, they saw him. Through eyewitnesses, those who were there, those who touched him, those who saw the nail-scarred hands, Through witnesses, they knew that this was the Christ. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, their eyes were opened. And what happens? I mean, their hearts were cut. You go, you figure? And now the crowd was seeing that this Jesus is Lord and Christ. He's the Son of God. And they said, they cried out and said, what do we do? Listen, What do we do? This is the Lord in Christ, and we killed him. Yesterday I had to do a a memorial service. I had the privilege of doing a memorial service, uh, and it was a little bit difficult because I didn't know the man. It was a former member that moved out of town, and the father passed away, and they asked me to come, and they asked me to do it. And it's always hard when you do those things you don't know somebody because you really want to honor them, and I say something that's like, everybody's like, that's not him. But more importantly for me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I always want to honor my Savior and the hope we have in, in Christ Jesus. And so as I read his biography and I heard his story, he's a pretty interesting guy. I mean, the guy was uh, really involved in public broadcasting in, in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, in Detroit, Michigan. But he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. 
He got ordained uh, by uh, uh, being trained at Pittsburgh Theological Institute. And guess who one of his classmates was? Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. These two fellas got ordained. They went into public broadcasting. Pretty interesting, right? But as I heard his story, his story was he came to know Jesus at college through reading C.S. Lewis. You see, it was C.S. Lewis who one time would tell you, who is this Jesus? Tell me about this Jesus. He would say, he's nothing. I mean, maybe a prophet. Maybe C.S. Lewis didn't believe that Jesus was God's son. He didn't believe that he was Lord and Christ at one time in his life, and he examined the evidence very, very bright scholar who went and he looked at who Jesus claimed to be and by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, his eyes became open. And when he wrote Mere Christianity, he says this to us and it's so important. He says, the reality of Jesus is he's one of three things. Jesus is a lunatic because lunatics claim to be God when they're not. David Koresh, Jim Jones, fill in the blank. Jesus was a lunatic because clearly he claimed to be God and lunatics do that. Or he was a liar. Because that's what he does. He's a liar because he clearly came and boldly says, I am God's only begotten son. If you've seen, the, seen me, you've seen the father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. That's our only options. And by the way, if he's a liar, you can't be a liar and a good teacher. And C.S. Lewis came to the reality he's not a lunatic. He's not a liar, and he's truly his Lord. And his whole life got upside, turned upside down, and he became a new creation, and the world was changed. His world was changed. Here's the point. These people, this crowd said, Jesus is a liar. Jesus is a lunatic. Kill him. And now by God's grace and, and God's word being opened up, they've realized that he, he is actually who he said he is. He's Lord. He's the Christ. And we've killed him. Just figure out, what do we do? Just, just, just marinate in that moment of just the realization that when you realize he's Lord and your hands have fixed him to the cross. And then we got to see who Jesus is through, through God's eyes. You see, it was God who did mighty works and wonders and signs through Jesus. I mean, God the Father proved that this was God the Son through what he did. I mean, God the Father said, this is the Lord in Christ. When it says he reveals that he's Lord in Christ, he's just pointing out, that's my beloved Son. He really is who he says he is. As we read this passage, the amazing thing about this is it says that God had a definite plan and foreknowledge to deliver the Son of God as a substitute of sins. And what's the view of Jesus in God's, the Father's eyes? Is God says, this was my plan all along. My plan all along was to rescue you and me through the work of his Son. It's my definite foreknowledge plan. That nothing happens apart from God's sovereign rule. Nothing. I mean, God's not up there as if this was happening. Oh, no. Oh, no. They don't see him as Lord in Christ. Oh, no. They're going to crucify him. Oh, no. The story is going to change. It's not God. God says, a plan from the moment that man rebelled. Even before they did, I had a plan to rescue. And the plan was that my son would come and live the life that they didn't live, die the death that they deserve to die. And my plan is to send my son to die. 
we got to realize that God is a sovereign ruling God and he rules and reigns over all things, including the death of his son. It was God's plan all along and he tells us through scripture of Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. But here's the other beautiful thing is this. God is in complete control. You ready for this? And man is completely culpable. There's a mystery there. God's plan, full decree. But man is fully responsible. Theirs are the lawless hands. Theirs is the sinful hands. They're culpable. How about this God? God made, declared that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Both Lord and Christ, he truly is king. What did this Jesus really do? Not only who is this Jesus, what did this Jesus really do? Well, the first thing is, is he paid for sins. I mean, the wages of sin is death. He came, it says, and now in the name of Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. Put yourself in the crowd. They've realized, uh-oh, he's not a lunatic. Uh-oh, he's not a liar. Uh-oh, he really is Lord. And we killed him. And guess what? He's alive. What do we do? And God is so gracious and merciful. Listen, he says, I want to forgive you. Can you imagine? Yeah, you killed me. Yeah, your lawless hands fixed me to that cross. But I want to lead it with grace and mercy. And it was the plan of the Father all along. Why? So I could forgive you. So I could forgive you. So I could separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. So I could make you new. So I could restore you. I could redeem you. I could make you an heir of heaven. I paid for your sins. I conquered death. This passage says it's impossible for him to be held down by it. This is God's own son. This is the spotless lamb of heaven. Death is not going to hold him. He conquered death. God's greatest and our greatest enemy. Death has been defeated. The grave has been vanquished. Life now reigns. What did this Jesus do? This Jesus bridged the chasm between a holy God and sinful man forever. We really can have peace with him. We really can know him. What did this Jesus do? This Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth. That was his declaration. And he declared that he was the king over Caesar. He was the king over all kings. He was the Lord over all lords. He came and made this ridiculous proclamation that he's it. And by God's grace, we realize and say he's true. What did this Jesus do? Who is this Jesus? And lastly, how do we respond? How should we respond to this? Well, we should be like those original hearers. We should be cut to the heart that just Jesus truly is God's Christ. He is the Lord. He is Christ. It's this Jesus. Listen, it's this Jesus who is pierced for our transgressions. It's this Jesus who is crushed for our iniquities. It's this Jesus upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It's this Jesus by his wounds we are healed. It's this Jesus. There's such good news. He forgives. He's gracious. And he's loving. So what should we do? He says, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Again, a very Christian-y word, a very Christian-y phrase. But I think that there's deep waters here. When he said to those, listen, when he said to that original crowd, repent of your sins, you know what the first thing he was talking about? Repent of your false view of Jesus. 
Repent. That's what you need to first and foremost repent to. Who this Jesus really is. That completely changed them. He's not a liar. He's not a Lord. He's a He's, he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He is Lord. And you've crucified him. You've got to change your mind on who this Jesus is. He needs to be Lord and Christ. You need to repent of your rebellion to his rule and reign. That this Jesus really is right now the reigning king of the universe. This Jesus, even right now, and we are called to live our lives in submission to him as our king and on mission for him as our king. And I use that phrase over and over and over again. And I do believe, church, that sometimes we don't take the gravity of the reality that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Christ. And that demands a response. Because we are called to be the witnesses of his kingdom. Repent of our sins, our false view of Jesus. Repent of our sins, our rebellion to his reign and rule. And it says this, be baptized in his name. Be baptized in his name. Be be, be immersed. Can a Presbyterian say, be immersed in the name of Jesus? Be baptized in his name. A name that they had rejected Be baptized in the name of Jesus. And here's what it's saying. It's more than just pour water on you. It's saying be baptized in his name. May the name of Jesus be your identity. May the name of Jesus be your security. May the name of Jesus be your salvation. May the name of Jesus be your hope. As Stott says, subscribing now to his doctrines, engaging in his service, relying on his merits, be baptized by the name of Jesus. Is the name of Jesus your Lord and your Christ? I mean, this begins with an inward baptism of that, that name. Certainly when we come to these waters, it's in the triune name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a sign and a seal of an inward reality for you and your children. But what it's really saying is this. Repent of your false views of who this Jesus is. Be fully, I mean, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Be fully baptized in the reality that his name is my identity. His name is my joy. What does this mean to us? I think we can begin by scraping off the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He never came to be your co-pilot. He came to be your king. Your Lord, your Christ. The one you bow to. I mean, the name that is above every name. He's not your co-pilot. Maybe we need to take off our Facebook status that Jesus is our BFF. He's your Lord. Yes, he's your best friend. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he's Emmanuel. Yes, he's all those things. But somehow we've neutered him. Jesus is... God's Christ and our Lord. We need to repent and forget the notion that Jesus is our pet guru or some personal counselor. He's your Christ. And we need to submit to him. 
You see, what we see in this passage is when the Holy Spirit empowers us to know Jesus for who he really is, everything changes. It changed for Peter. Never again would he be that denier. Never again will he not know what Jesus does. He will die upside down, crucified for that Savior. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, tell even in his death the good news. And he will say, Jesus is my Lord and my Christ to his dying breath. It changed for the crowd. I mean, they thought he was a liar. They thought he was a lunatic. Now he's Lord. And they're baptized in his name and the world was forever changed. Has it changed for you? If you see Jesus for who he really is, we are now called and empowered to tell the world that the king has come and Jesus is Christ and he is Lord and he has a beautiful, gracious, loving reign that we have the privilege of bowing to. Make no mistake that we will leave here in a few moments and we will go to our break bread and we most likely will not come into contact with a suicide bomber because of the fact that we proclaim Jesus is Lord and King. But make no mistake that his call on our lives is to lay down our lives. To be Lord and King should cost us everything. Let us pray. Father, would you please, through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, would you please show us clearly who your Son is? And if there is one person here who thinks that he is a liar or a lunatic, by your grace and for your glory, would you show them Jesus as truly our Lord? That Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. Father, would you forgive this preacher and this congregation that, that just takes those words so flippantly and your, your kingdom so, so easily. And, and God, I, we're not bad people when we put God as our co-pilot. I, I think that we mean good things. But it's not enough. It's not enough. I love the fact, Jesus, you didn't come just to make our life a little bit better. And you didn't come just to give us a little bit more comfort. <laughs> you came declaring good news. That the king has come. And he's merciful. And he's powerful. And in his name we find life. And in his name we have forgiveness. And in his name we have power. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit that would change a life like Peter would change ours too. Amen.